two Zs in OC. We took out the uh to make OC not a thing, but a person. So it's two Zs in OC. I have coupled myself with Lorenzo Alexander. I didn't quite get the million-dollar contract, the multi-million dollar contract that Lorenzo did, but I did play on the same high school football squad and went to the same number one public university in the world as Lorenzo. So two Zs and OC. What are you talking about, man? What do you mean? I came down to play high school. Don't act like you was on varsity with me. No, I, I'm not acting like that. Okay. I made it very clear. Okay, no, you didn't. You said we were on the same team. We were not on the okay. same Okay, okay. Let me make it clear. Ever. Lorenzo came down from starting on varsity <laughs> for one charity game for us <laughs> on freshmen so that we could beat Pete. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm making sure. No, I, I love all the other guys. you making it seem like we're up on our level. I'm just making no, sure. No, I'm, look, I'm just stating facts, which is that you and right. I shared the same jersey and played on the same team on okay. the same field. I am okay. equal to Lorenzo okay. when it comes to freshman St. Mary's football, and we both went to Cal. And I, I didn't play football there, and OC <laughs> might have played football for Utah, and maybe he won a million dollars fighting people. Anyways, together, we are all two Zs and OC. And we are bringing you a logo. We are bringing you an intro song from Zion I. We got Brownie Blends who flaked on me because he's got to go cut Draymond in L.A. I'm doing all the legwork over here just to bring you guys some entertainment. Anyways, how are you, gentlemen? O.C. says he's got no power. I'm looking at an orange sky outside. I don't know what's going on. I'm pretty sure Jesus is coming back. Zoe, I know you are a man of God. Can yeah. you put in a good word for me? How's everybody doing? You only can put in a good word for yourself when it comes to that. But, hey, I'm good. You know, we out here in Phoenix. The weather's actually really nice. It's about mm, 85 degrees right now. So okay. that's a blessing from us, you know, as far as being like 1, you know, 15 last week. Okay, so you're straight. So you got no global warming stuff going on. Oh, see, you told me that your power went out. What's going on over there in Utah? So we've had a hot summer, right? This is – I'm not exaggerating. And if there's anyone in the Denver area that's listening to this, they had even more extreme of a change – from, I guess, what was that, Monday to Tuesday this week, from Labor Day to the day after, the end of summer really did end summer in the Rocky Mountain region because Labor Day here in Salt Lake was like 92 degrees. Okay. And, and yesterday, we got literal hurricane force winds, blew down a bunch of trees, 100-something miles an hour winds, blew down a bunch of old-growth trees like that had been standing for 100 years, and then it snowed. This is within 24 hours of it being 90-something degrees. What? Yeah. <laughs> and we still don't believe in climate change. God right. bless. <laughs> it was bananas. And the same thing happened Crazy. in Denver. It was like on Monday, it was like 92, and yesterday got a dusting of snow. I was sitting in my new house, and I'm looking at a tree, a big old 50-foot-tall pine tree that just fell down in our backyard. And I see these snowflakes fluttering down, and I'm like, what is <laughs> this is crazy. But other than that, I mean, you're living on Mars right now because the fires in California have stained the Bay Area air, that orangish red color. We're seeing it all on social media. How are you breathing out there? Oh, I mean, yeah, horrendously. I mean, I remember like the fires that were bad like three or four years ago or something. One of my friend's moms was talking about how she had ash on her car. And I yep. thought she was kidding. I went outside to my car. My car was completely covered in ash. And I don't even know where those fires are coming from because I thought the fires moved from when my family's house burnt down. I thought they moved down to SoCal. So I don't know if the wind's now blowing up or something or what's going on. But yeah, it's bananas. Anyways, with all of that said, let's begin the show with the NFL pushing through. No problem. We got football in like two days, gentlemen. 
The NFL football season is starting. And I feel like I've been a little bit more optimistic than you guys have been. I feel like the pessimism has aired more on your guys' side on whether or not this thing is going to go and go through. The NFL doesn't give a damn. And we are going to have some football. What is it? Texans, Chiefs come literally tomorrow night. We are like, uh, what? We are 27 hours away from NFL football. Yeah, something like that. I don't know what conversation you've been having with me, but I've been very optimistic because I sit across from those owners, and so I know what they're trying to do. I know they were going to push it through, and so there was never... Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. I, I, I shouldn't have said right. that. That's why I got to correct you. That's my job is to constantly correct you and fact check. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with the money at stake and then how they were acting and their whole mentality and then what we were trying to do as far as getting everything together, doing negotiations, I knew there wasn't going to be any hesitation or setback or pushback as far as starting the season off. Now, finishing is another thing, but I think that we're in a great place. Everything is kind of shoring up scientifically-wise as well, and then the guys have been doing a great job, and so I'm excited for it. It's my first time, you know, I tweeted something last night trying to figure out a way to get the Sunday ticket or just the option to watch multiple games because I have a lot of guys around the league and I want to make sure I can flip channels and check guys out. The NFL and the owners, they get a lot of criticism because they are very cold and callous businessmen at times, but there is some credit that you got to give to the idea that they've done a good job with creating successful environments, good testing, all that kind of stuff for these teams to operate. And we know that everyone's taken a bath financially by not having full stadiums and things like that. But credit to the owners, I'll give them a small amount of credit for uh, creating you know, the necessary testing protocols to make sure that the NFLPA was like, yeah, we can do this. And then most importantly, credit to players and coaches for making sure that they are behaving themselves correctly away from facilities, away from the job, so to speak, so that they can remain healthy and keep testing negative and end up on a football field in 27 hours, like Zach said. So help me out with this, Zoe, because I think as much as you guys like to make fun of me, blah, 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 I think that most people are as ignorant as me when it comes, like, there are a lot of my close friends that only knew that football was happening because of fantasy football drafts. And I don't think anybody really knows what's taking place here. So the testing has all been really good, right? What exactly are we going to look at? You talked about OC just said something about, you know, people being in the stands or whatever. How many states are we going to have stadiums where there are, you know, 25% capacity, 33? Does anybody even know what's going to happen starting Thursday? Well, the issue is that there's not overarching protocol for the league. It's state by state, you know, so California is going to look much differently than Missouri or, yeah, the Midwest or the East Coast. It just all depends on, first of all, it depends on what state you're in. Then it depends on what affiliation your governor has, you know, Republican. <laughs> <laughs> it just plays a part in it. <laughs> yeah, yep. and, uh, you know, obviously the culture, you know, obviously West Coast, East Coast football is not as prominent as part of the culture. And so, you know, you have a lot of these Midwest and Southern teams that are going to at least have 20% fan base that are allowed to come to the stadiums. But then you have a state like New York or even here in Arizona, which I'm surprised, the first couple of games, they won't have fans at all. And so I think you have some coaches that are just kind of uneasy with, okay, is that a competitive advantage? Is it a disadvantage? They don't really know where it is. And so they kind of feel, you but know. But so does anybody know? Do the players know whether or not there's going to be fans in the stands? Yeah. I depend on, at this point, depending on like the Kansas City Chiefs, they'll have 20% capacity. Buffalo okay. first week, they won't have fans. Like here in Arizona, there won't be fans for at least the first two weeks. Gotcha. They're evolving. And nothing in Cali, right? Right, nothing in California at all. And so things are evolving as the weeks go by and and the science changes. And depending on where you're at in your phases as far as the state, 
maybe you have 20% in the beginning, but then at the end, maybe you have a spike and then they drop it back down to zero. So it's just a fluid motion, but owners are going to try to figure out a way to minimize the financial bath that OC referenced at the beginning. So if they can have fans, they're going to try to get them in there. If they can't, they just got to work with what they got. I'll tell you what, the made-for-television product, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to check out some of the college football games that have been on, but the made-for-television product is really interesting and I think is going to be really interesting for a lot of NFL fans that are tuning in kind of for the first time and seeing football with either drastically reduced crowds or no crowds at all because you hear a lot more of what coaches and players and sideline reaction is about. And to me, that's fascinating. I, I like it. Zoe, for you, it's not a novel concept because you know what those reactions are on the sideline anyway. Right. But for the average fan, that's not what we get, right? When you get a big play, everything is drowned out by the sound of the crowd, either people being upset that something happened or people being excited that something happened. But you don't get those big old parabolic microphones. They don't pick up player interaction that often. Yeah, what I can see out of that, though, what you said, normally they mic up maybe one, two, maybe even three guys, let's say at the most. Mm-hmm. I, I would be very surprised if the NFL doesn't maybe mic up, you know, maybe at least one starter from every position group, right? So you can get interactions throughout the game that they can obviously replay and they're not giving away any game plan or scheme in the broadcast. But like you said, like interactions. Or, hey, man, did you see that play to run? Next time they line up in two by two, let's do this. Or if you see, like, somebody score a big play, just the interactions that you naturally have as players on the sideline, I think the NFL will, you know, probably raise that space as far as being seen by fans. Like you said, people like to see that, to kind of fill some of that space since there isn't any fans in the stands. Well, we haven't seen that in the NBA so much. I mean, we've heard more stuff than we usually hear from the NBA, but I'm surprised that they haven't done that now. I'm assuming, and so. You know, I played a lot of time playing basketball. I know the way that vocabulary gets thrown around when guys are playing. So I'm assuming that it's because they don't want a lot of that stuff to air. And what OC was talking about in terms of the strategic part of it, OC, there was a UFC fight, right? Where Daniel Comier was doing like play-by-play for something. And he was, he literally said a strategy to the guy who ended up implementing that and winning the fight in what he said in part due to him hearing the guy. So I wonder how that, I mean, because if you know, Zoe, if you're on the sideline, right, and you have a defensive strategy or whatever, and you know that stuff's being heard as opposed to not, you're probably going to alter what you say too, right? So you probably won't hear the goods like you would if the guys didn't know that they were being mic'd up. Yeah, and, and I'm talking more, not necessarily like, hey, we're going to run cover two this next play, or we're going to blitz them on third down, and we got this package. I'm talking more of some of the integral parts. Like, for example, you'll see when guys get mic'd up, hey, man, they're chipping me over here. Let's run a text game. That stuff mm-hmm. rarely gets down to the back to the player. Now, if it's some schematic thing, like as far as they're running cover two or they're blitzing and they're doing this, they mm-hmm. can get that down to the coaches. But they're never going to get – I've never been told, at least, from in-game – where they heard something on the broadcast, which can happen, and they come down to me and say, hey, Zo, when they do this next time, run a text. Or if you hear this call, run a text. That rarely happens. So but you yeah, will. Yeah. So that's why I think you'll get, like, player to player. Not necessarily when the coaching comes over there and is breaking stuff down, but you'll get more Even positional to- coaches? Positional coaches, because they're doing game plan stuff. You gotcha. make pictures or some B-roll of them doing some more stuff, yeah. but they're not going to allow you to listen in on their conversations whether it's live or delayed. But I think more player to player, like, you know, the reaction to a great play or just talking ball on the sideline, which is more, gotcha. more about technique than less about 
the scheme. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. It's a little silver lining because obviously this football season is compromised. And for fans, you know, most people, they want to be out there tailgating. They want to be in the stadium and things like that. Not everyone's going to have that opportunity this year. But the small silver lining, if we're still looking for those with this whole corona mess, is that maybe you get, as a television viewer, you get a little different, maybe a little better access to those conversations. That mic'd up thing is a window that a lot of fans, if you've never been at football practice and you don't know the language and the semantics that coaches and players use with one another, it's a fascinating little deal, right? So if you get that much more of it, I think that's a silver lining in what is otherwise a huge mess. So I want to ask you, you can pick between these two things, but I'm just curious. I mean, you spent the majority of your time with Washington, but you've been on a bunch of teams. There's two questions that I got for you. Number one is dealing with a rookie quarterback. And I'm thinking about, cause you know, I'm a Dolphins fan. You know what I'm saying? And two is coming to save my life. He's going to bring <laughs> us the championship that Dan Marino never did. I want to know what it was like having Josh Allen as a rookie guy. And I also want to know in general, like in terms of just the Bay area up here, the Niners getting so close to winning a Super Bowl, right up 20 to 10 in the fourth with like seven minutes to go. Is there such thing as, a Super Bowl losing hangover. So between that and rookie quarterback, which one do you want to talk about? Well, we could talk about rookie quarterbacks because you're going to see several of them this year. And for me, rookie quarterbacks can be very dynamic because they don't have a lot of tape on them. But at the same time, I think that because they are, especially depending on when they start and how much time to lead up, you'll have a lot of them try to do too much too early and they don't understand how to manage a game. That's where you probably get most of the layback or things that we can take advantage of. Not recognizing blitzes or certain coverages and then be able to manipulate them and making stupid throws because they're trying to be superhero because if they got drafted high, they're trying to prove their worth. And I think that was something that I saw Josh kind of go through over these last couple of years, you know, being on the team with him and sitting up front, is that when you get drafted that high and you are the quarterback, which gets all the glory, you feel like you have to live up to that sometimes. And sometimes you play outside of what you're called to do. And so it could be early in the game. It could be first quarter, and you and it could be third and seven. You go to scramble, and you dive in head first trying to get a first down when you don't need to. First of all, you may take a shot. You may fumble, which can ultimately hurt us in the long run versus you just sliding. The all-star Tom mm-hmm. Brady plays to slide, punt mm-hmm. it, let your defense play. I would say number two is the growth mindset of understanding coverages, how people are attacking you, where your hot read is, when you have pressure in your face off a blitz or something that you didn't expect, how do you handle that, being composed in the pocket and not necessarily running out, but allow your guys, your running back and your five linemen and sometimes the tight end, to pick up the blitz, stay comfortable and confident, looking down at your reads and be able to make a throw. And so those are a couple of things I think where rookie quarterbacks struggle at. I think Josh has grown in that way over the last two years, and I think he's going to do the same going into his third season. But that's how you see the evolution. And the ones that are able to rise above that or learn that early on and get a lot of reps, as we saw like a Kyler Murray doing Arizona last year, those guys are special. And you know they're going to be in this league for a long time. Already, we talked for a long time, many, many years, about how valuable it is to have a veteran quarterback, one of these elder statesman guys like the Tom Brady's of the world and the Aaron Rodgers and Peyton Manning and all that stuff. And look, those guys, Drew Brees, they belong in the category of rarefied air because of their accomplishments. And you can't take anything away from that. And they're obviously a huge asset to a team. But it's really fascinating to me the way that some of these young quarterbacks, Lamar and Sean Watson and Pat Mahomes, obviously the best example, are guys that are very, very young in their careers that are already big-time game changers. And it's not that we haven't seen that before, but it feels like this movement 
of these young guys that don't have that same amount of growing pains that they have to go through that maybe we used to see where it takes four or five years of being the understudy for Brett Favre before you're really ready to go, or it takes four or five years of getting your ass kicked like Alex Smith had to do on bad teams before you're really ready to go. I mean, a lot of these guys are coming into the NFL game and they're being put onto rosters where they have a little bit of help and they're ready-made to be huge difference makers. It's pretty awesome to see. I want to stick with that for a second, though. How much is, because I remember, and I know we make jokes about it or whatever, but just from freshman football, there was like what, like 12 plays that I had to memorize total? How much is coming in, because I'm assuming as evolved as college is now, you're probably more suited and prepared for what you're going to get at the NFL level. But like, just how much is it like learning a new language? Cause when I hear these guys rattle off plays Z Y X, I mean, everybody jokes about John Gruden talking about split Y banana or whatever. How difficult is it to learn the language of plays? I don't, I mean, it's just different. So initially it's challenging, but most of these guys have come from systems where they had to learn. So it's all about how you learn and how coaches help you assimilate the new information in the for me i know one thing that i found i think other guys do this too is that you try to find something that correlates with something that you already know it may sound different like for example cover two some people may just say cover two i may say blue but i have to associate the two so when i'm out there i know what i'm doing and so you have to find those similarities based on past information past coaches that you've worked with to help you transition into the game and so for some people that's just Looking at the playbook, oh, okay, I see that. Some guys is going out there and actually calling the play, running through and walking through things slowly. Some guys is getting on the board and writing it out. Everybody has to identify the best way they learn. And I think it's up to a coordinator to, especially if it's a guy that you drafted high and you expect to play, is to challenge them but not overwhelm them. And allow a guy who is young, like a Watson, I would say like a Kyler, obviously like a Josh, Pat Mahomes, I think he's even on his own level, but even like Lamar, you want to make sure that you don't take their athleticism, their backyard ball playing ability away from them because that's what makes them special, being able to do things off timing. And so when you give guys too much too soon, they get real methodical, they're thinking, and it bogs down their athleticism. And so that is the hardest thing, I think, finding that balance where guys, you figure out how they learn best, giving them enough in the gun so they can obviously, the offense can obviously attack a defense, but then not overwhelming them so that you can allow them to be special and then growing with them over, you know, the first year or two of their career. And so that's what I've seen work best. And obviously having some talent around them because you don't want guys just taking shots and taking all the pressure on themselves because that can ruin guys' careers as well. I got a question for you, Zoe, regarding preparation, right? Football players are creatures of habit. Football coaches are yeah. creatures of habit, and they've got a system, they've got a routine, they've got this thing that they know works either to prepare themselves or to prepare their team to get them ready for game day. And because of restrictions based on what you can do and what you can't do in practice with COVID, because of interrupted calendar and some of those situations, do you think that we're going to get some people's routines interrupted enough that they won't be quite as prepared? And I ask this question because – I watched BYU versus Navy the other night, right? Yeah, yeah. On, on Labor Day. And Navy had prepared the entire offseason. They hadn't been tackling in practice. They've been blocking against dummies, and they've been tackling donuts. And you could tell that that was a problem when they were getting beat off the ball, when they were missing tackles, all that stuff. You could tell that the preparation that had been interrupted by COVID rules had actually affected them on game day. 
So Holy I don't know stink. if you've been talking to people in the NFL, uh, and if you know that you know maybe some people have adjusted more than others, but I'm curious to see if that happens on the NFL level. Yeah, yeah, you definitely have coaches that are just and have a better process of making sure their guys understand how to prepare in a world where we didn't have preseason games. And so they found that balance of trying to create live periods, but also maintaining some health because you don't want to kill your guys as well. But I don't know what the college ranks are, and I don't really didn't watch BYU or Navy, but that could be just a talent issue too. And I think when you are a professional and you're at this level of playing, especially guys like Patrick Mahomes, you know, that top echelon of guys, when you talk about quarterback or even linebackers or other positional players, those guys won't have a hard time adjusting because they've been in the league. They know what to expect. And, yeah, when you see a few more missed tackles for week one, week two, yeah, I mean, that naturally happens anyway because everything is the faster pace. Things are ratcheted up because these are all meaningful games now. Where I think you'll see things struggle at is maybe that bottom, I don't know, third of the roster, maybe the last 10 guys that are special teams guys, maybe a guy has to go in and play early. Maybe you have a young guy that got drafted high that has to go in and play some meaningful minutes as a rotational piece where the D-line linebacker, and maybe he's not up to snuff because he's not ready. And so I think you're going to see a longer runway to get these guys to where I think most coaches would expect them to be with a traditional offseason. And so coaches are going to have to stand some grace. And some guys will get a little bit more than others based on where they got drafted or how much they got paid. So guys are going to have to figure out a quick way to go out there and make plays regardless of what happened. And you really should have been using the last month and a half or so to figure out, okay, what do I need? What is my routine? And that's why young guys are going to have a hard time, I think, initially, because they're trying to come up with stuff out of thin air versus a veteran like myself. I have a routine. Now I'm just shifting it slightly because, okay, normally I'm ready at this point, but I'm not. So maybe I need to do some extra tackling drills at the end of practice or whatever that may be for you. But before we move on, because you don't always get a chance to talk to a guy that was in the league and played as many years as you did. I'm just curious. and I bet you a lot of people out there listening are curious as well. How many times does, okay, so the linebacker on defense calls out your defensive play, right? Yeah, the middle linebacker traditionally does that. Okay, and then the quarterback calls the offense. How many times on either side does somebody call something that was wrong or something where, like, the other person is wrong when they called it and it screwed up the play? Uh, I mean, it happens. It'll happen from time to time. But it's normally, this is the rule. Whatever comes out of the quarterback's mouth or the Mike linebacker's mouth, that's what we're running. Now, if you're talking about, Like he has his mouthpiece in and you can't really hear. Like some words kind of sound the same. And he might have said, you know, uh, we're going to run over two. And you think two is really blue. And let's say blue was a different coverage. Let's say blue was cover four. That happens sometimes where he says the right thing, but you miss hearing because of a mouthpiece or the guy may be country or whatever. You don't quite understand me. A different twang? Yeah, but that's rare because most of the time, even when I've heard a guy wrong, like, now why are we calling? Oh, he said this. I mean, but that's a veteran because you we're just based, based on strategy. Strategy, yeah, strategy yeah, yeah. what we worked on all week. Because sometimes yeah. the guy may say something and you hear him and it's play we haven't worked on all week. Yeah. Or have, it's not in the game plan. You're like, oh, okay, it must have been. Yeah, but Zoe, I see quarterbacks yelling at wide receivers where they're like, you know, they'll do a hand motion where they're kind of saying, you should have done a slant there. You did an out or something like that. So I'm just wondering how often that happens. Well, some of that is they have option routes. And so you may have a quarterback that's reading it much differently than. Oh. And so the middle of the The field. wide receiver can change it in the middle of the route? Yes. Uh, If it's cover two, want to run down the middle of the field. If it's cover three and the middle of the field is closed, you have a middle field safety, you may break the route off and run more of a dig route 
because you're trying to stay away from the safety. And so it just all depends on what coverages and what options that system has based off of what they're seeing. And that's why you'll have that. And that's why chemistry and going through these plays and making sure you watch film together, whether you are, you know, corners and safeties or quarterback and receivers. So when you see the same picture, you're thinking the same thing and you're not thinking something different. Plus, what's the best way to cover up your own mistake on television, Zach? If you're the quarterback who threw that wrong route that's or whatever. Even on freshman football. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I would have been. Oh, believe me. If I was a superstar quarterback, anytime I threw a pick, you would constantly see me doing this. I'm you're, like, oh, yeah. I'm supposed to do that. If you're <laughs> Phillip Rivers, you're not going, my bad, my bad. You're yelling at Keenan Allen every time. Not a chance. By <laughs> the way, Phillip Rivers, not a swearer. I know that Lorenzo's a man of God, and I'm praying for him right now as I have Mars outside of my house. Phillip Rivers, not a swearer. I don't know how he plays football. He does not swear once. Have you ever heard him mic'd up? He says, fudge. He says frickin', he says, uh, that's good pretty gosh, good. golly that's, almighty. The guy does not swear. Pretty, pretty amazing. I don't cuss, like, generally just having a conversation, or just hanging out, or even when I'm upset. But when I'm competing, I don't know what you may get, depending on how angry I get or how hot the moment gets. You know, I may <laughs> throw a couple of bombs out there. But, uh, yeah, it's amazing he's able to keep that composure even sure in the game. about OC, too, right? OC, you're not a swearer either, right? You don't drink coffee. You don't swear either. Swearing is not a vice that I've been able to avoid. I'll tell you that. I, I you're a swearer? I swear. Well, my wife will tell you I swear way too much. I probably okay, swear. I never knew. A normal amount. But yeah, Philip Rivers, <laughs> you make fun of me for being Mormon, even though I'm not Mormon. Philip Rivers is like an extremely Orthodox Catholic. He's like the most Catholic dude on planet Earth, right? Well, I and know so, he has 16 kids because he doesn't believe in blocking the ability to have a baby. So anytime, anytime he's shooting, he's going. Look, man, be fruitful and multiply. That's right. That's <laughs> It is actually, according to the Vatican, you, are not, sermon, use, you are not supposed to use contraception of any kind yes. if you are a devout Catholic, and he Don't is a very a devout blessing. Catholic. Right. Don't block a blessing. That's right. So That's what yeah, he's got, he's got, <laughs> It's going to be so weird to see some of these guys. Philip Rivers is going to be in Colts uniform. You're going to get Tom Brady in a Bucks uniform. Like, it's going to be. Well, let's move to that. I wanted to talk about the NBA, but let's move to just like the NFL favorites in general. This is the first and last podcast before the season starts. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Niners and whether or not the Super Bowl hangover is real. I know there's stats on, I think, only two teams in the history of, of the Super Bowl era have gotten back to the Super Bowl after losing it. So I don't know if that hangover is real. Zoe, maybe you can touch on that. But just in general, since this is going to be the show before the season starts, who are your favorites? Who are you looking at in terms of the divisions? You can just rapid fire them off however you want to do it. Man, wow. Who's my favorite this year? I mean, it's kind of hard. I mean, it feels so tied to Buffalo. I, I would be a fool not to pick oh, up. Oh, you're uh, you're just giving love to the people back in Buffalo, New York. You do not think they're a favorite, do you? They're a favorite to compete for. They'll be oh. there. What are you talking? How, how many games at Buffalo have you watched? A, a lot. I'm a how Dolphins many? fan. We smacked y'all every time last year, right? <laughs> so, I yes. mean, outside of those two games, how many Buffalo Bills games? Probably two out on top of those two because I had Singletary on my fantasy team. Okay, and we probably won those games last year. I mean, I think you forget now. What were we eleven and five? Do you we honestly should... think that the do you Zo? Do you honestly think that the Bills are going to win the AFC East? Why wouldn't I? Who's because Cam Newton's in New England, and I, I like the Dolphins better than the Bills. OC, weigh in here because obviously we're too biased. Yeah, no, I'm not biased. OC, gun to your head. Who do you have winning the AFC? No, 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 no. Definitely not the Dolphins. Not this is not biased. The defenses are coming back off of a, being a You're number gone. defense in, in the league. I wasn't the bail cow of the defense. Don't worry about me. So, top three 
every defense. You add Stephon Diggs to John Brown to Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, Devin Singletary is back. You add Zach Moss to that that equation. They have a very solid offensive line. I don't believe in Josh year. Allen. Why? He's gotten better than from year one to year two, and he's I a playmaker. Don't. I don't it's, believe it. You don't have to believe in me. We're, we're talking about winning games. He won 11 games last year. You don't think okay. they're going to take another step with Tom Brady out of the picture? Now they can split with New England possibly? And so now that's 12, maybe 13 games that you win? Come on now. Only people they What's really the over-under in Vegas? I assure you it's not 12 games. Nobody gives Buffalo a chance. A chance. That's, including that's based, me. But that's based off of 17 years of not making the playoffs. That's not based on reality. It's based off of ignorance and not going up to Buffalo. Because once you get up there, you love it. We can talk about this all day, but, but see. on paper, they are a dominant team. Play in, OC. Well, first of all, like your Dolphins are not going to take the necessary step to do anything this year. They have a better uh, look, chance than Buffalo. No, you don't have a better chance than Buffalo. Look, there's a lot of people who call Buffalo the favorite in that division this year. They're projected to win at least 10 games. <laughs> Did you look it up in Vegas? I didn't why, look it up in why, Vegas. Why does Vegas matter? Because that's where people get paid to set okay. lines. So, all right. Okay, you want me to look it up in Vegas? Here's yes, Vegas. Please. Vegas says that it's either the Patriots or the Bills in that division, which is probably what any football fan will tell you. And the only reason people are going to give the Patriots that much credit is because of the history with the Patriots. That offense especially has been decimated. And, yeah, Cam Newton is an intriguing prospect, but he's a lot more intriguing when we haven't seen him play yet. We, it's a lot more intriguing when we don't know if that arm is still a noodle, right? Like Cam Newton, we're expecting, I guess, just because he's attached to Bill Belichick now that it's going to be like the first two years of his NFL career. I'm not really sold on that idea. But yeah, look, I'm with you in my skepticism of Josh Allen. Because I didn't understand the hype around him coming into the draft. I didn't understand why people were so high on him. Where did he go? South Dakota? Wyoming. Wyoming. Even worse. He wasn't even that good at Wyoming, right? No offense to my Wyomings out there. So (laughs) I was, (laughs) I'm with you on that. Like I was, I'm skeptical of Josh Allen, but the rest of that team is pretty damn good. Okay. All right. Look, th- this will be fun throughout the year. Lorenzo, not a Super Bowl obviously. Hate. Oh, yeah. No, we can, so we is obviously. On, what do you want to bet on this? You want to do division? You want to do head-to-head? What do you want to do? Since you think the Dolphins, the Dolphins are going to win the AFC East. I might have gotten in over my skis. No, 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 no. You can't walk that okay. back. <laughs> let's just do over-under on wins for the Bills. Please. No, no, let's no. Do, let's do over-under wins for do- the Miami Dolphins. Six? Eight. Yeah, I'll bet you Ooh. over. On Hammer the under on eight wins. I'll be, no, no, he said six. Wins. I'll bet you over six, and then I'll bet you under on Bills. How many games y'all win last year? I Four. don't know. Maybe six and nine? I forget. I don't even care. If we don't make the playoffs, I don't care. Let's bet the over-under on the Bills and the over-under on the Dolphins. We can All just right. do what Vegas does. So what's the, oh, we'll when is the line? Dinner. Next time oh, you come oh, to the Vegas. Oh, what's the line? What's the Vegas line? I closed out my oh, – okay. <laughs> And I don't even understand. You talking about Barry and Native. How you get? How you like Miami Dolphins? Dan Marino. Is the no, no. reason why I started liking football. Dan Marino. Man, do you know how wet those old. jerseys are? Dan I pride myself way as old. an he orange even, type of individual. even knew about football. Dan Marino might have been on his twilight of going out. Let's be I real. I was born in 83, dog. Well, yeah. you have me, oh, so, six, so I'm, I'm the same age. I get that. But you didn't know about football your first five years. Yes, I did. Yeah. I watched it with my daddy. My daddy liked Joe Montana. I like Dan Marino. Anyways, I, you just picked pick Joe Montana. Pick Dan Marino. Hey. It's out of the right. blue. At is, is the Super Bowl hangover a real thing? Come on, man. 
NFL uh, All Pro uh, Bowler. I, I don't know. Is the, the Super thing. Bowl I mean, Hangover a real thing? It's like the Madden curse. I mean, it just happens. So I mean, you play a lot of football. You end up playing a lot longer than everybody else, and then you end up losing it. So it takes a lot out. I think a lot of times those teams probably get broken up, especially with free agency these days. Guys get picked off of those championships. But that's not true for the Niners. The Niners are returning pretty much every starter. I'm I'm just saying, generally speaking, I'm not saying for the 49ers, if you listen to what I'm actually saying and see how it applies, I think the 49ers will compete again. They're in one of the toughest divisions. And so will they be able to do the same thing with Arizona Cardinals getting better? with the Rams maybe jumping back in to that division and being competitive again. And then, obviously, you never count out Russ, what he's able to do up in Seattle. And so they have to get out of the division and not get beat up in that division. But if they're able to come out again of that, they're going to be primed and ready to go. We'll see. It's a tougher division this year. So you can't rest on what you did last year in the league. And I think a lot of teams fall in that, and that's why they don't make it back. Because normally, Sean used to put up a stat, I think, like maybe eight of the 12 teams, or maybe it's not quite eight, maybe it's more like six, don't make it back the next year. And you put so much into football, you're playing that much more, what, you play up to four more weeks, depending if you was the first or second round buyer or you was a wild card. And so there's more football on your body, more emotional, and then you just kind of, you know. You're, Rest you're, on your morals is what you're saying yeah. more than anything else? You get confident. You get complacent, which a lot of people do. And that's why it's so amazing when you see a team like the Patriots do what they did for so long. Because it's mentally hard to stay locked in and engaged when you have success. Even though you lost, you feel, hey, man, we're we going to be right back here again next year. No, not really. I mean, because every year somebody's going to be gunning for you. So I don't know what's going to happen with the Niners. I like their roster. I like, obviously, Shanahan and how he game plans. Their defense, their front four is top-notch. And if you want to win in this league, you got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback and stop the run, and they're built to do that. And so they have a nice mix. And so it'll just be really about Jimmy G. Can he take the next step forward and really become a piece that they can rely on and count on, obviously, in games in December and in the playoffs? Zach and I have had this conversation. I'm a Niners guy. I grew up a 49ers fan. I've always been a 49ers fan. And the Jimmy G conundrum for me is a very serious one because how many chances do you get to make that throw to win a Super Bowl? I mean, that's a career-defining throw, and so far he's 0-for-1 in that scenario. You only get there once in a lot of cases. Maybe you get back there if you're on a franchise like the San Francisco 49ers with a loaded roster right now. But, I mean, you got to, as a 49ers fan, you have to – at least I think, you got to be skeptical about whether or not Jimmy G has everything it takes to deliver you to the promised land because when you compare what he is doing and what he has done and what I think he's capable of doing to the other guys that are up there at the top of the heap, we're talking about the other teams like Kansas City, like Baltimore, like New Orleans, like Tampa Bay, like Seattle. All of these these are the, the other teams that belong in the conversation with what the 49ers are expecting right as we head into the NFL season. And I'd rather take any of those quarterbacks before I take Jimmy G. So that's a question I think we need to see answered this year. I'm going to win a steak dinner from Lorenzo uh, on the Bills on, on the under for their win total because Josh Allen is, like Jimmy G, a guy that I question. You highly. serious? I'm not going to even deal with you, but the only issue I have with Jimmy G probably right now, and I think people are looking at is the thing that you have to deal with the elite athletes you're playing with is being able to go off schedule, off timing, because guys are going to get pressure. And what do you do when everything is around you? That can you get away from a guy? And I know both was on his team, but somebody of that caliber. And the guys, some of the guys that you named probably subtract Drew Brees is throwing off schedule, getting out of there, extending plays, to be able to find people downfield or maybe even turn a run in, you know, 15, 20 yards, get a first time, big play, jump up, pump his chest, first down, and keep the drive going. 
And so that's where if he's going to sit in the pocket, he has to become more of that Tom Brady, Drew Brees, getting the ball out of his hands quickly, making the decisions, especially off of that play action they love to do because they run the ball great and be able to make great decisive throws the name of the show should be a z and two divas because i've got a diva that's got to leave here in two minutes so i wanted to get to the bubble we couldn't get to the bubble we can't talk about james we can't talk about how right i was about chris paul forcing the rockets into a game seven where you guys were saying oh it's just because they missed a bunch of threes i was right about that even though they lost game seven we can't talk any basketball so i want to end the show both of you guys happily married i would like to know how you two proposed i had a a dinner with my family and my lady it went well we're going swimmingly i would like to know how you guys proposed to your wife you figure it out on your own no just tell me what your story is no you don't need to take no you figure it out on your own i'm not going to take your idea take you figure it out on yourself I ain't well, how did you propose you're not gonna tell me so he may tell you're you I'm such a me. poor sport oc I'm can you tell me how you proposed hey I, you know what that makes me think zoe got proposed to or something because he's real standoffish <laughs> about wanting to tell us the story <laughs> oh look mine was like it's not all that creative i took her we went on a little trip little vacation to my favorite place the north shore of oahu in hawaii okay and, and we we <laughs> went there's a <laughs> there's a little spot called Cavella Bay that's got these big old banyan trees you know what a banyan tree is of course I know every tree <laughs> you're an arborist okay oh no, my dad was just a nut job he pointed out every tree and said what every species was anyway, anyway there, there's this grove of banyan trees that's right on the beach and uh yeah I just I had the ring in my pocket and I was like okay well with the way the sunlight's coming down through these trees it's got to be done right here <laughs> and you got on a knee yeah. Did she cry? A little bit. Yeah. Probably because she was sad about what she was getting herself into. <laughs> I don't blame her. All right, Zoe, go pick up your kids. Appreciate you pimping. By the way, you guys are all welcome for Zion. And, and by the way, my hair is getting so bad. I texted Brownie and I said, Brownie, it's getting out of control. So he's definitely coming. He's going to join the podcast next Tuesday. And I'm going to get cut live been, on video. You've been saying that for two months. I know, but this one, well, he had to, he had to fly down to cut Draymond. Am I supposed you, to argue with that? You just need to go get, you just need to go to Supercuts. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's, well, first of all, I'm in Northern California. There's no Supercuts open. <laughs> and, and number two, it goes Draymond and then PZ way down below. Yeah. All right. All right, gentlemen. Later, fellas. Holla.